Well, let's all stand together. We lift up our voices this evening. Uh, many of you probably know the chorus, this chorus. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. How many of you know that chorus? I'm so glad I'm a part. How many of you know the actual verses that go with this song? Yeah? Well, we're going to learn them tonight. We may sing that first verse twice, and then that way we, we know the... Yeah, we know the we know the tune. But let's lift up our voices as we learn one, a new song this evening. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood. Join us with Jesus as we travel. around here it's because we're a family and these folks are so dear when one has a heartache we all share the tears and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear let's go back and we'll do that verse again ready here we go you will notice we say brother and sister around here it's because we're a family and these folks are so near when one has a heartache we all share the tears and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear i'm so glad i'm a part of the family
Good to see each of you out for our evening service on this Sunday night. Louis, would you open us in prayer? Our Father and our God, what a privilege we can, Lord, to be able to come into the house of God, Father, and to know that we belong to the family of God. Father, mm -hmm. we just thank you for all the ways that you bless us. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing of this building that we can worship in. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing of having a pastor that preaches the word of God. We thank you, Lord, for all the many different ways you bless us. Be with the service now, Father. I just pray that you'd have a willing way in it. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. And let's continue in singing the Lily of the Valley. I have found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul.
Good to see you guys out tonight. It's a pretty good group as I look out here for Sunday night. And we continue to see more folks come back. And, and uh, this afternoon as we had the ARC Preschool Kindergarten program, afterwards we did a little cookie reception down in the fellowship hall. And it was really great to see these young couples with their children visiting, chatting, um, seemed to be relaxed and enjoying a cookie one with another. It's just kind of nice to start seeing a little bit of normalcy among people socializing and chatting. And I just continue to pray that we see that return all the way through the summer and from here on out. Amen? Amen. I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and I'm going to read to you verses 7 down through 21. It's quite a little block of scripture, but I want you to hear the whole context, and then within the middle of that, I'm going to highlight about 10 verses out of those verses. Title of my message tonight is Love Exposed, and what we are going to see in this text is the genuine love of God for all of us, and part of what triggered me to do this is I was recently talking to a person who I'd never met in my life, uh, but I was talking that to them through the internet. I had sold them something and I had to ship it to them. And in the course of the conversation, I always look for an opportunity to share the gospel. And so this individual, older gentleman, had bought this item from me. I can't remember, I think he lived in Michigan. And it kind of turned to, because my email is connected to me as Pastor Tim Taylor. So he asked me, uh, are, you, are you a pastor? I said, yeah, I am a pastor. Wouldn't call myself a pastor if I wasn't a pastor. Um, but we communicated back and forth. And he told me, he says, oh, yeah. He said, I've got this great Bible. And he sent me pictures of pages in the Bible. And um, we just went back and forth. And in the end of the conversation, he asked me, he said, what do you think I should read in this Bible that I got? Um, and I point people like that to the Gospel of John and to 1 John. And the reason I do that is the Gospel of John is the unique of the four Gospels, giving to us a clear understanding of the deity of Jesus Christ and his passion, love, and sacrifice for all humankind. Then when you come to 1 John, 1 John is a, just a great book about the love of God for all of us. And it just reminded me how much we need to remember. And as I communicated back and forth with that guy, it just stirred my heart. There's so many people who just don't understand how much God loves them. So tonight's message is to expose to us once again the precious love of our Lord for us. So if you'll look with me down at 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to pick it up at verse 7 and read right to the end of the chapter. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God, love his brother also. It's interesting when you talk to people about the love of God, they always kind of want to make it just a little bit squishy. They want to make it where God, he, he just overlooks everything because he just loves us all. Kind of like a parent who spoils their little toddler. They let him get away with murder. And that's what they want God to do. They want God to just let everybody do everything because he just loves everybody. But that's not really the love of God that we find in the New Testament. We find the love of God, the love of God for us to be a motivational and sacrificial love. It's not a love that just looks out in this squishy way and says, I love everybody, you do what you want to do, and I'm just going to bask in the glow of my love for you. That's not how it is with God. In fact, God looks down and he absolutely understands our shortcomings so much that because he does love us, he paid the price for those shortcomings, for those sins. And as we come to this book, 1 John, and as we come to this particular text, we find him link these things all together so that we understand God's love for us, his sacrifice because of that love for us, and that bond he creates with us because of that sacrifice and love for us. So the, I want to pick it up in verse 9. Verses 9 and 10 show us the true revelation of God's love. So look with me if you would. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. It says, For this was manifested, for this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. So as we look at this text, we understand that as he reveals, as he manifests the love of God towards us, we see that it is this motivational love where God himself sent his only begotten son into the world that we might, through him, live. That we might have eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and that he himself might live through us as he ministers to a lost and dying world, reaching out to people who are dead in their trespasses and sins. We see that God's love towards us was an active act. It was a positive act. Something that he saw, because I love you, I must respond to that love. It's not a passive love. So again, the verse says, in this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world. So in these verses, we see that God looked down, he saw mankind, humankind, and his heart was broken for our condition. So broken for our condition that he was willing to give himself. Listen to verse 10 again. Here in is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation is an old English word not often used nowadays. And it simply means the act of appeasing. So it means God sent his only son to die for your sins and my sins. Why? So that it might appease God concerning your sin and my sin. Because our sin offends God. But he still live, loves us. That's the amazing thing. And that's what he's saying in verse 10. Here in his love. Not that we love God. Because sometimes we can get a little bit puffed up and think to ourselves, well, we're the people who love God. Well, you are. But that's not the definition of spiritual love. The real definition of spiritual love is that God loves us. You see, he's lovable. We're not all that lovable. Now, you might think you're lovable, you know, and, and you might think to yourself, well, yeah, no, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little cushy. I'm, you know, I, I'm lovable. But the problem is our sins make pretty sharp edges in our relationship with God. It separates us from God. Our sin is a separator. But God still loves us, even with all those sharp edges, even with all that separation, God loves us. So he tells us, he says, that is the definition, that is the expression of true spiritual love. Not our love for him. Naturally, we should love him. He's our creator. He's the one who is our provider. He's the one who sustains us. He's our sustainer. Everything that is good we get from him, it should be natural for us to love God. But the reality is, it's not a natural thing for God to love us. He loves us in spite of us. We are created by him, but our sin is a rebellion against him. So he reminds us, herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be that propitiation, to be that appeasing for our sins. The scriptures teach us there is no remission of sin. There is no removal of sin without the shedding of blood. And Christ, God in the flesh, was willing to do that because he loved us so much. When you come down to verses 14 through 17 in our text, we see the second thing I want you to see about love exposed. 
God's love exposed to all of us in our lives into a lost and dying world. Look with me at verses 14 through 17, because I want you to see love made perfect. He says, for we have seen and do testify that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. And have you noticed as we've read down through this text, how often the text repeats that God sent his son. Do you think he's driving home a point for us? He's talking to us about love and he wants us to understand it's not about us loving him. It's about him loving us and him sending his son. And over and over again throughout the entire text, he repeats to us that he sent his son, that he himself left heaven above and took upon himself the form of a man because God loved you and I enough to come and die for our sins. So again, he says in verse 14, for we've seen and do testify that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and in him. Now the world can take that same concept and they can play with it and twist it and try to shape it into their concept of love. And they can say, well, yeah, I'm love. I love people. I love, I love this. I love that. So therefore I'm connected to God. But no, God qualifies the statement. He doesn't make it so broad that anybody and everybody that has love is of God. He makes it very clear that God is love and he that dwelleth and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. And that connection, as we saw in the previous verse, is all the son of God. God sent his son. Through his son, he connects to us. And that connection in us and through us makes us people who are loved and who love. It's a link. It's a circle brought together all by that motivated, action-filled love that God has for you and I. Look with me at verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. You and I are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the scriptures teach us. When we accept the love of God for us and in us, we are born into the family of God. You and I are grafted into that olive tree. You and I are grafted into the family. So we are even as he is. Not God, but part of the family of God. John this evening had us sing that very old song. It seems like a very old song to me, unless it's a new rendition of an old song. No. It's an old song. Yeah. Yeah. And so as we sang that song about us being the family of God, it just reminds us we are the family of God. Amen. I got a phone call the other day. I was, I was driving and I got a, I got a text. Somebody texted me. 
and my phone, talk, my car talks to me, so I wasn't reading texts while I was driving. Want to put your mind at ease, and I don't want Mike to arrest me. So my my truck talks to me when it when somebody texts me. So somebody texted me, and they said, Pastor, this lady would like to talk to you. She's moved into the area. She wants to know some things about the church, and so uh, because. It, the truck can talk, et cetera, et cetera. I set up an appointment to talk to the lady while I was driving. And so as we talked, I explained to her about the church. She and her husband had moved into the area. She wanted to know about our church, our, our worship style. She's coming out of an old denominational church from where she lived before. Her husband is not Christian at all. And she just wanted to know a lot of things. But one of the things she wanted to know is... The fellowship part, the family part of the church. Because she had grown up and she said, growing up and going to church, we would go, we would do the ritual of church and we would leave and that's all there was. And she said, I really want to experience church family, community. And we talked about that. It is such an important part of a church. It's such an important part of Christian fellowship. It is God who reminds us that when we are born again, when we are connected to his love through Christ, we become joint heirs with Christ. We become part of the family of God. And it should be that when we come to church, it's a family reunion. We're coming, we're connecting, we're seeing each other, we're visiting. This morning, one of, the, one of the gentlemen, as he was walking out the door, I had been shaking hands out on the sidewalk, enjoying a little bit of that fresh air out there. And when I came back in, he looked at me and said, Pastor, just, Pastor, you just can't get rid of us, can you? And it took me a minute to figure out what he was talking about. And he was talking about because everybody was visiting and talking, and it probably been 20 minutes after church. And I looked at him and I said, that's part of what I love about our church is as soon as the service is over, they're not hitting the door and rushing out the door. They're visiting and chatting and enjoying fellowship, enjoying church family. That's what should happen. And so as we look in this text here, we are reminded that we are one through Christ. We are one as a church family, one in the family of God. So he comes down in verse 18, he says... There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. You see, you and I, we experience the transforming power of the love of God. Yes, he left heaven above and he came and he died on the cross for your sins and mine. And yes, through that connection, by accepting him as our savior, the love of God transforms and changes us. But when we look at this verse, we are reminded of how it empowers us. Again, listen to verse 18. There is no fear in love. And he's not talking about some mushy, you know, seventh grade love for boyfriends and girlfriends and imaginary love. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the connection between us and God. And God in us, true love. He says, for there is no fear in that love. 
But perfect love casts out fear. You and I in our lives, and certainly if you've lived very long, you've met people or known people who are just ready to die. They're ready to pass away. They've, they've lived their lives. I, I have sat many a time in the hospital or at a nursing home or in people's houses where the bed is set up in the living room. or You know, these, these folks are waiting to pass. And they have no fear. I've had many a person look at me and say to me, I am ready. I am not afraid. I'm ready to go home to be with the Lord. And that's, that's what this is talking about. It's talking about the fact that we are empowered through the love of God to face life without fear. So if you do get a horrible diagnosis and the doctor looks at you across the desk and says you have a week, two weeks, two months, two years, it should not be that, that fear crushes you. Oh, what am I going to do if I die? If you're a child of God, you know that you have a heavenly home waiting for you. Now, the death process might be frightening. I mean, certainly the journey can be rough. But the destination is glorious for he that knows and loves God. So many a, a, a person I have sat and held their hand and had them explain to me, I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus. I'm looking forward to seeing my spouse who went on ahead of me or my, my parents. or they, they look without fear at what God has for them. And that is empowering. Look at the people who fear the unknown. And you and I, we don't face the unknown. We know Christ said to us, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would tell you. He has assured us. So we are empowered. We are empowered to fear no more. But to face life's unexpected things, whatever they may be, without fear. And to know that as I go through whatever journey lays ahead, in the end, I am at peace with my Lord. He comes down into verses 19, 20, and 21. And here we find the kindred spirit of love. He says, we love him because he first loved us. You remember before he says, now love is not you loving God. Love is God loving you. And now he reminds us. He says, in fact, your love for him is because he did love you. Amen. So he says, we love him because he first loved us. And that's it. For you and I living in this Christian age, so far, you know, 2,000 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, for us, it's an easy concept to understand that we have a loving God. But you know, at the time of the writing of the New Testament, when many of these people still were coming out of pagan religions where their gods were not loving gods, they were cruel gods. They had little, little compassion for their subjects. Here he's talking about a God who loves people. And he says we love him because he first loved us. And their response might be well how do we know God loves us? Well how do we know? 
He died on the cross for us. Amen. He died on the cross for your sins and my sins. Can you say that about the God of Baal? Can you say that about the God of Moloch? Can you say that about all the modern gods in the world today? No. We love him because he first loved us. And he loved us so much, he died on the cross for us. Verse 20, he says, If a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. Now, I don't know about you, but the word liar is a strong word, isn't it? You don't toss the word liar around easily. I want to hope you don't. Because the very phrase to look at somebody and say to them, you are a liar. Have you ever noticed politicians do everything under the sun but say you're a liar? They'll call all kinds of untruths, all kinds of things, but they don't say he's a liar. Why? Because the word liar is a piercing, powerful word. But God uses it. He says, if a man say, I love God, and he hates his brother, he's a liar. Now, he's not lying about hating his brother. What's he lying about? His love for God. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? So I told you verses 19, 20, and 21 is about the kindred spirit of love, the linking, bonding part of God's love in us and through us. So he's reminding of us that, listen, genuine Christian love is not a surface matter. It's transformational. It's changing. It should even change the way we treat one another and feel about each other. Listen to what he says in verse 21. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loves his brother also. So that makes us step back. Because is every brother and sister in Christ lovable? Oh, listen, man, I have met some Christians in my day who have really pushed that very outer edge of being a lovable person in any way, shape, or form. And so haven't you. So how do we do that? How do we love the unlovable? The cantankerous. The mean. The, the list could, could, could go on. How do we love that brother or sister in Christ? How do we do that? We do that through the love of God. Not our love. But through the love of God. I've told you before that when I was in college, I think it was my second year of college, you know, we were in we, our dormitory rooms. This was before the day where they built all these fancy dormitories where like when you go to college, it's like going to the Hilton. Back then it was not that way. It was cement block room, spray painted, four bunks, and one little cabinet for each person. We had one shared piece of plywood screwed to the wall with brackets that was our desk in our dormitory room and I am not lying to you I wouldn't anyways it was primitive second year get to college they, they assign you your roommates it's before the days where you could pick and choose roommates so you, you fall into just this who knows who 
And within a week, my roommate, second year of college, he looks at me, he says, I hate Yankees. I said, really? He said, oh yeah, I've known Yankees before and I hate Yankees. I told him, I said, I don't even know you. How can you hate me? Oh, I know you Yankees. That's exactly what he told me. And so I had to make a decision. Do I hate him or do I work on this? And so I just started, I started praying for him. And then I asked him to start praying with me. So I worked in a machine shop. I went to college mornings and then after lunch, I would study in the library. And then I went to, I, I worked in a machine shop from 3.30 to midnight. So I asked him, I said, look, when I get home after work, would you pray with me every night? And he said, oh, it's really late at night. I said, but that's when I'm there. So we started, when I would get to the dorm room, which would be about 12.30, by the time I punched out at the machine shop and drove to the college, got into my dorm room, it was about 12.30, he would climb out of his bunk and we would kneel down and we would pray together. And it changed his heart and mine. And still today, once in a while, we reach out to each other. He's, he pastors in Indiana. I pastor in Vermont. The love of God can change your heart and your soul. Amen. But you have, to let the God, you have to let the love of God do that. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God, love his brother also. So you have to accept the commandment. You have to say to yourself, well, that, that means even the unlovely, I need to love. Well, don't forget, God loves even the unlovely. He looks down and I'll tell you what, when that, when that horrible sinner comes to the altar to receive Christ as his savior and God sees him coming down the aisle, God loves that person. He loves every human being, doesn't love their sin, but he loves that person enough to die on the cross for them. So when he asks us to love, he's not asking any more of us than he himself is willing to do. You might say, well, pastor, you know what? It's one thing for you to love an old college roommate and, and pray together and to care about one another and pray for one another. But I'm telling you what, you're not married to the person I'm married to. It's really tough to marry. It's really hard to love that person. Well, it might be, but God loves them. And what brother or sister do you have that's any closer than that person who you live with, that you chose? So even in tough marriages, I challenge people, you start praying together. You start praying together. Ask God to change your heart and your soul. Ask God to work in that tough area. Maybe you work with somebody who, you know, you, you think to yourself, there's no way on earth I can pray for this person. Then you pray for God to help you to pray. Because he can do that too. He can soften in your heart that which you can't even imagine. Because God loves them. He, so much he died on the cross for them. So when we look at this text, it simply reminds us 
that we as individuals are loved. And because we're loved, God calls us to love. So whether you're doing business with somebody on the phone, and some of you do, look for that little opportunity to share the gospel. And you know, I tell you these things because I want you to know, I really do, I really do practice this. It's, it's not make-believe for me. Uh, Sandra Joe, this morning, we, David came and talked about having families come into your, young people come into your home for a college, uh, high school year. And so as he was leaving, he, he pulled Sandra Joe aside and he said, you know, I go to a lot of churches. And he said, this is the only church where your pastor just welcomes me and makes me feel welcome. Now, he doesn't attend church. I'd love to see him come and attend church. But why is that? It's because truly, as Christians, it should be that way. Amen. It should be natural. It shouldn't be forced. We should love people, even, even people who aren't like us. We should love them enough to pray for them, to care about them. It should be natural. Your job, your community, your family, it should be that they see the love of God in you and through you. That's what this text is talking about. Well, even if they're on the phone, even if you're flying with them on an airplane or working across an office, it should be that you can show the love of God in your heart and life. You just have to choose. You have to choose. It's easy to be a crank, isn't it? Just to be cranky. Isn't it? No, Doris says it's not easy for her. And I have to admit, Doris is a sweetheart. She's, it would be hard. But I've seen you get cranked, Doris. I have seen you get cranked. That's why I try not to let it show. You know, it's easy to go ahead and be a crank. It's hard to choose to let the love of God live through us. Whether in your marriage, dealing with difficult children, dealing with difficult parents, dealing with difficult community people, we have to show the love of God. Amen? Amen. We're commanded to love our brother. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Thanks so much for coming out tonight. Father in heaven, I pray that you help us to take this text. Help us to be more than hearers, but doers. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be changed, transformed. We are your children. We're joint heirs with Christ. We are part of the family. Lord, help us to live like it. Help us to lay aside all the, all the bitterness, all the anger, all the preconceived judgment that we might have towards others. And help us to reach out with Christian love. To pray for, to minister to, to care about. It's what you've called us to do. And Lord, you've not asked us to do anything that you yourself does not do. We just ask for your power in all our frailty, in all our weakness. Help us to do what you've commanded us to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming out.